On this episode of the program, we have the triumphant return of Washington Monthly's Bill Share. We talk about the primary that wasn't a lot about Ron DeSantis, a little about Donald Trump, and then shockingly Calvin Coolidge. It's all coming up. This is made possible by Dustin Campbell, Owe Them Bones, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, and Craig. Everybody to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for July 26th, 2023. Your old pal Justin Robert Young here. And I, I gotta tell you, friends, I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated in a profound sense. And I know that we live in an era of ennui when we are looking for reasons to blame our problems on the, the world. Our politicians, our neighbors, the weather. We've got a lot of things to be mad about. But I, Justin Robert Young, am mad for the most pure reasons. The reasons only a journalist can understand. (laughs) The reason is that I don't have the narrative. I don't have anything to talk about. And when I have lived my entire life for the last four years in anticipation of this being an exciting primary season, well, I look at the Real Clear Politics average. I look at the news cycle, and boy, do I see a whole lot of nothing. And so. I have nothing else but to commiserate with one of our own friends from the Washington Monthly. It's Bill Scher. Welcome to the show, Bill. Always a pleasure. Where do we even start? So let me start here. This primary sucks. Why does this primary (laughs) suck? I've waited four years for this primary, Bill, and right now it stinks. It well, it's there's there's no narrative arc here. There's no there's no plot points. There's no twists. Exactly. Uh, well, to be to be a little fair, look, I'm definitely one who has argued on my various social media platforms. Yes, that the the old chestnut that it's early uh, is being used way too much as a crutch. Yes, because it's. Almost unprecedented for a front runner to be this far ahead, to be literally 30 yeah. points plus ahead, and to eventually lose. Well, uh, yeah, especially since we've already run through a lot of the event points for which would theoretically shake up the race, right? There's well, I, I, I wouldn't quite say that. Okay, Hold on one second. Okay. Uh, but just to give you know, some clarity, clarity here, to say, well, Jeb Bush was ahead 
you know, in 2016. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he Not was by that much. in the teens. Yeah. And was up by like five points in early July 2015. And then Trump overtook him July 20th. Um, so you have a lot of examples of people being very light, tenuous front runners who don't make it, but that's yeah. not the situation today. The more uh, arguable parallel examples both come from 2008, where Hillary Clinton was almost 30 points ahead of a Barack Obama yes. uh, around this time nationally. Uh, and Giuliani was up. I think he topped out at 17. I got to go back and check. But uh, but he was up for most of 2007. Yes. And for both Hillary and Rudy, the national numbers don't turn until the very end of 2007, early 2008. Uh, but these, these don't strike me as being very useful today because, one, both Clinton and Giuliani – held positions that were incongruous with their respective bases, Hillary with Iraq, Giuliani with abortion and gay rights. So there were always kind of tenuous frontrunners in that respect. Uh, Giuliani was hit with a scandal at the tail end of 2007 involving using government funds to go on extramarital trips. Uh, And Clinton had a rough debate at the tail end in October 2007, where she got tied up over uh, the immigration issue. Yeah. And then she started to start to fizzle uh, after that. Uh, with Trump, every possible imaginal scandal has already manifested to the point of literal indictments, multiple yes. indictments, and one civil verdict of sexual abuse which has been clarified since to actually be the equivalent of rape yeah you can't possibly get worse than what he's had and when the confines of the republican primary he's only gotten stronger i mean that is the the, depraved psychological dynamic of the republican primary uh but when you say it's early you say because something unexpected might occur down the line all those things seemingly have happened this is and he's still riding high. This is my this is my point. I, I don't think it's early. I, I think that that, you know, one of two things would have to happen if we are looking at Donald Trump not being the nominee by the end of this time. And and much like I'm sure people are going into their fantasy drafts and, and you don't talk about injury during a fantasy draft. I'm I'm out of the conversation of death. For either of the candidates going forward. So so spare me your emails about about that. Let's assume everybody lives until 2024. Uh, The only thing that would need to happen is either Ron DeSantis right now and now nominally the, you know, uh, a B shelf of candidates would have to get stronger or somebody from the C shelf of candidates would have to get stronger and overtake Ron DeSantis. That would be the first step for which they would show that they had uh, uh, increasing prowess. And what we've well, seen. Believe in that. Would, it doesn't change Trump's. Would you sure. Yeah. No, but that's the first step. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I'm saying yeah. like, like, because, uh, because you're, you're, you're right. This, this primary stinks. 
Because I'm going to tell you guys, the listeners of this show, what every reporter and every editor will not tell you, which is that we need things to talk about. And so when everybody says, oh, uh, 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 we're going to spend 24 hours talking about Tim Scott. We're going to spend 24 hours talking about Chris Christie. This is why. It's it's because you can't write the same story over and over and over again. Content, Absolutely. There needs to be something. The one thing that hasn't happened yet are debates. That's it. But he, but here's everything that has happened. Yes. Everybody's gotten into the race. Everybody's raised money. We've seen what their, their, their money raising prowess was. We have seen what the, uh, uh, uh the, the pledges, uh, for, for support have been. And we have seen not one, not two, but now three, uh, uh when, when the January 6th stuff comes down and the Eugene Carroll stuff, for Trump, none of that has done anything to shake this race. If not, as you pointed out, based on each of the indictments, he has gained five to ten points for each of them. And nobody has made the case. And nor do I think I, I think it is easier said than done to make the case. If the Republican electorate believes that Donald Trump is being unfairly persecuted, whether or not you believe in that or not, if that is the cemented idea of the Republican electorate, then you'd have a better chance running a primary against winning a primary against Jesus when he's on the cross, because that that is he is the persecuted person for which everybody needs to rally around. If that's what the voters think, then that's what the voters think. The only way to change this race is to get more Republicans to no longer believe that you have to go at the person who has a seeming hammerlock on half of the Republican electorate. That has to change. You have to persuade people. It's not there. You, you can't just consolidate the anti-Trump vote because even you'll say, OK, well, Trump's only at 50 nationally or he's only at 37 in this New Hampshire poll. Uh, that shows there's this large chunk of people that don't want Trump. Well, that that that's that side is not all anti-Trump. Yes. Not necessarily deeply anti-Trump. This is this was the issue in 2015, 2016 when people like me thought he had a low ceiling and couldn't get there. Yeah. And, and we were proved wrong because it turned out there was still room. There was still bandwagon effect room for people to jump on if it's if, if it seemed like it was over and done with. Um but let me just let me, let me do say one other thing. We we've had 50 years of the modern primary era. Yes. It sounds longer than it is because you only have them every four years. So yeah, yeah, yeah. some people some people say, well, history is limited here because there's only so many examples to point to. Fair enough. But I do think we have enough to say, look, we we can see what are the catalytic moments that have allowed someone to go from tier three to tier two or tier two to tier yeah. one, even if they don't win at the end of the day. Because again, almost in every case, early frontrunner is eventual nominee. Um, but we do have examples of what what lights the spark. Yeah, and basically, and it, honestly, there's not that many things. No, uh, Howard Dean had a speech to the DNC winter meeting, make very blunt about being against the Iraq War in early 2003. That was and the that, that 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 that, that lights a fire there. Yeah, right. So speech that grabs hold to an untapped issue mm-hmm. or that was a case where the front runners had all voted for the iraq war yeah even though a lot of democratic voters didn't like the iraq war so you had this incongruity there that dean could exploit um mike huckabee 2007 had an ad 
with Chuck Norris. Do you I don't know if you remember that? Ad. Of course I do. Yeah. Uh, but it actually was, it, it was at a, it was a, not just a fun ad. It was yes. a time when viral ads were a new thing. Yeah. It was, it was at the height of uh, uh, a kid's ask your parents about the Chuck Norris jokes uh, about <laughs> Chuck Norris being right. the coolest person. And so Mike Huckabee doing coming from the evangelical lane where normally that candidate is, you know, the, the bad guy from footloose to, to be a funny jovial person who was making jokes with Chuck Norris, that, that was a very defining uh, factor for Huckabee that uh, led him to win Iowa. And at a time when Giuliani's scandal was just breaking. Yes. So the field was kind of fluid plus Iowa is top heavy with Christian conservatives who yes. are Huckabee's natural constituency. And so that all came together, not for Huckabee to rise nationally, but rise where it really mattered. And, and, and also time. Giuliani was running the bold strategy of, I'm not going to campaign until Florida, which was. Boy, I forget where that started. That might've started after the scandal broke and he was looking for a lifeline. Um, but uh, so you have those sorts of examples, but the vast majority of breakout moments are on the debate stage, yes. especially in the Republican primary. When you, 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 you have a population of the Republican electorate that is very media sensitive, much as they hate the media. Yes. Uh, they, you know, there's this period in 2012 where like, almost like everybody had a moment, you know, Michelle Bachman and, uh, uh, and uh, Santorum and such mm-hmm. uh, Gingrich. Yeah, they just didn't want to settle on Romney until they absolutely had to. Yes, uh, and in 2016, uh, you know, Trump overtakes Jeb Bush essentially this week. Yes, eight years ago, and does not relinquish it nationally the entire race except for three days in November when Ben Carson was hot. Ben Carson, which gave <laughs> us, which gave us the the the, the belt speech of of right. uh, Trump decimating Carson's autobiography about right. uh, whether or not it was a uh, uh, divine providence that Ben Carson stabbing his friend in the stomach uh, would lead to the handle of the knife breaking apart from the blade. Uh, right. But l- 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 yeah, go ahead and look that and up. Carson's rise. This this happens a few times in Republican primaries. Like the, the moment in the debate is seemingly so trivial. I mean, Carson had a debate where he did almost nothing of value yes. the entire time. And then in the closing statement, he makes a joke about he's the only person on the stage who's taken out half a brain, which you would think um, would not be the first if you've spent any time in Washington. You know, that, that was his <laughs> joke. Yeah. Uh, and that like lit up the room. Um, also, if I go back four years prior, you know, Herman Cain. Here's one of the Herman Cain. Maybe the only example of someone who really broke out of the Republican side because of a policy idea, the 999, sure. thing, which is somewhat wrapped up into having some decent debate performances. Uh, well, and he, but- he was a charismatic he was a charismatic guy, Herman Cain. He was somebody that, you know, had done radio and stuff. So so there was there was an element of fun to him that normally doesn't happen, which brings us back to our 50 years of history in Republican primaries is that before the advent of Donald Trump, there usually is an establishment candidate that tends to be at a certain level and then a rabble rouser or somebody who's a little bit from from the edges, be it the business side or the uh, evangelical side that then can kind of stir the glass a little bit. But the Republican primary has been so up until Trump so predictable of 
the runner up from the last one gets to be the nominee this time. And the runner up then gets to be the nominee next time that this is something that we have never seen a front runner that is running this far ahead of everybody. That's also the populace. The uh, uh, drinkster, like, like well, it, it, it makes it very, very hard. I mean, look, um, what tends to pop in these Republican debates compared to what is the current landscape today? The Republican primary elector is not shopping around for who has the best tax plan. No, who has the best border plan? Who has the best position? Even on something like Ukraine, like this is not an issue-oriented primary. No. The issue right now in the Republican primary is Trump, yes or no. Yes. That is the race. Not everybody likes Trump, uh, but Trump is the issue. And Trump makes himself the issue. Uh, so you have, you have a, a number of examples, uh, Gingrich in 2012 and Ted Cruz in 2016, where their moment in the debate is bashing the media. The media yeah. has some question and they use it as an opportunity to lambast the media as being unserious, being in the tank for Democrats, being unfair to all the Republicans on the stage, not just themselves. And there's an appetite in the Republican electorate that loves hearing that, lo yes. loves seeing somebody look a mainstream media figure in the face and humiliate them on a national stage. Trump does that on a daily basis. Yes. So if you so here we're coming into a debate next month when I assume that Trump will not appear for. Some people think he can't help himself, but there's there's no indication that Trump is feeling any kind of tug to do it based by his own words and by the basic obviousness of the political landscape. He's up by 30 points and no one's expecting him to do it. And and um, and and quite quite uh, uh possibly more poignant, the fact that he doesn't like Fox News. Which which may or may not, because if it, if it were for a media outlet for which he had fond feelings, I would wonder whether or not in his very chummy New York media friendly brain, he'd be like, well, I'll do it for Doug or whoever's running that network. But I don't even know how much of that is is artificial to make an excuse to not do the debate. I mean, Fox is doing the debate because... So many Republicans have hated seeing Republican debates on ABC or NBC, well, MSNBC. Yeah, but why are they, why is the RNC doing business with these media institutions who are the enemy? So the RNC said, "Okay, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to do it with Fox." Trump has to have a fresh excuse to not do that debate, and it is Fox is too nice to Ron DeSantis. No, 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 no. I'm not going to do a debate there. No, his his excuse is not a new one. It's an old one. It's Arizona from 2020. That's that's well, and well, that, and, that's, and he will he will all, continue to say there. that. Yes, it's all in there on top of the fact that which he said very bluntly and accurately, I'm up by like somebody he says 40, yes. 30 points, which is exaggerating. I'm up by this much. Why should I debate somebody who's at zero? Uh, and again, these are ex exaggerated endpoints. And that would only not be true if a vast majority of Republican primary voters would be mad if he didn't show up and then his poll numbers would drop. But I have no evidence that is actually the case. Uh, and this is maybe a, a tangential example, but we have the Katie Hobbs case from last year where people said, how can mm -hmm. Katie Hobbs not debate Carrie Lake expect to win? Guess what? She didn't debate and she won because most voters in general don't really care about debates. They're not obsessive news chunkies. Um, 
So that's true. Well, and especially statewide debates. State, statewide debates are exclusively the, the the domain of the people that are paid for either campaign to watch them. And weird uh, 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 then Twitter now X uh, obsessives like me and you on on uh, in political uh, circles. So I assume we're going to have a debate that Trump does not show up in. Okay. DeSantis said he's showing. At one point, I thought DeSantis wouldn't show if Trump didn't show, but he DeSantis no, said he would. Has show. to do it. Has to well, do. Well, I, I would say he is doing so badly that he actually needs to show up. If he was running ten points behind Trump and twenty points ahead of everybody else, maybe he could play the same game Trump is playing. But he's like risking falling behind Tim Scott in Iowa. Uh, yeah, and I think maybe even and, and he's already in third in South Carolina. Yeah, so yeah. The in- first, the first, the first poll came out this weekend that showed him behind Nikki Haley in South Carolina, and that's that. That to me is people got to get fired territory uh, for 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 the well, the, the I mean, DeSantis it's, it's, team. It's a separate discussion, but like DeSantis' problem is not the staff; the problem is DeSantis. But we can get to there in a second. Yeah. Um, but my point is, uh, DeSantis has to show. He's going to take a lot of incoming because he'll be the person with the highest poll numbers on that stage. Uh, he'll try to blame the media. Maybe other folks will try to blame the media for this or that. Uh, but it's it's hard to envision what anybody could do. Like maybe maybe a Tim Scott or a Nikki Haley or a Vivek Ramaswamy, as much as I hate to say it, might say something on the order of Ben Carson saying, "I'm the only guy who took out half a brain." Yeah. To excite some sliver of the Republican electorate and become the number two. But what do you possibly say that's going to take a chunk out of Donald Trump? Uh, the things that have the things that have gotten people elevated in debates have on the Republican side have not been things that really knocked the front runner off their game. It's not because they took a real pop at the front runner and made that person bleed it from everybody's eyes because they they hit the media, they had a funny line, they had a, a novel policy deal like Herman Cain. It's not yeah. been real front stabbing of the front runner. Uh, so uh, it, it's, it's very hard for me to see how it all comes together where Trump actually gets overtaken unless someone finds out. I, I think what it takes is it's a, it's a collective action problem. It's not just that Chris Christie has to tear the bark off of Trump. Everybody's got to take the, tear the bark off of Trump, not just within the Republican field, but people in Congress as well. So it pierces the echo chamber of the conservative media sphere, and it makes Republican voters second guess their commitment to Trump. But that is just a Herculean I, yeah. communication I, I, effort I, I, that I, also... I can't see actually coming together. I also don't think that it's likely to, to work. I, I think it that might not. I mean, I, I think I think that's that, that's that, the thing. People people keep saying this that like, oh, they gotta go after him. They gotta go after him. I'm like, but if again, if the if the Republican electorate looks at these indictments and says this is the end of the Republican Party, this is one party rule in America forever. Because look at how they are they are putting together these charges that barely make sense to me. That that you have to explain to people why they're even crimes, and and that's why we need to rally around him, regardless of whether or not you believe that. If that is a pervasive narrative, then you you can't. I mean, there you you can you can yell at him, you can call him a, a, a criminal all you want, you can you can wave your head solemnly, but. If that's what they believe, then that's that. Now, I do think that there are lanes that you can take 
that do not surrender, that are not agreeing with the indictments. Uh, and, and that's the reason why the, the, the DeSantis campaign to me, I did an episode a couple of weeks ago for which I said, as much as I disagree with how this thing is being run and you cannot argue with the numbers, it has been Stinko Malenko from the moment that he got into this and you can make the argument that he didn't get in when Donald Trump was really opening fire at the beginning of this year. That's really when things, they have been too smart by half for their own good the entire time. But he seemed to be running a better presidential campaign last summer than he is this summer when he was when he was doing the the Martha's Vineyard stuff, when he was doing. It seemed like that campaign at some point has turned into, as you very astutely pointed out on Twitter, the Elizabeth Warren white paper campaign of uh, uh, let me tell you about how smart my DEI reform in the army is going to be, which was the subject of his uh, uh, conversation with Jake Tapper, which also got blown off the front page because it happened the same time that, that the Trump indictments were coming in the, the lane for somebody. I thought it was DeSantis uh, uh, because I think DeSantis has a, a background to say, none of these priorities will get done if you keep making your own mistakes. And so this is not about whether or not this is, weaponized Department of Justice, because I do think that that is a mainline thought in the Republican Party. But it's rather if you know they're watching, if you know they're looking to to make sure to to nail you on anything that you could possibly do, this movement cannot survive you stepping on your own rake and hitting yourself in the face. But that hasn't been the DeSantis line. That hasn't been anybody's line. The, the only the, uh, line of criticism oh, that Christy. we've really seen is is Christie. But Christie's, you know, basically a, a, a blockbuster MSNBC guest, and I don't think that that's going to light up the Republican primary. You know, Christie has moved the needle a little bit in New Hampshire. Like he he pulls third in some polls. He's in around six percent. But even in a, I saw one poll of New Hampshire where he, I think he was at six. His favorable, unfavorable amongst New Hampshire Republicans was ten sixty four. I mean, that's yeah. just that's that's a hard thing to overcome. But if he was setting a pace that other people started to echo, uh, then maybe it could start to pierce that bubble. But again, we're nowhere near there and like i i wrote in april i wrote for the washington monthly in april that the santa should take a pass on this whole thing yes unless you came he on here complete, you came on here and talked right. about it that's right unless he had like a complete strategic rethink of what he was doing because his thesis was that there was a lane for a candidate to say i'm like trump but more competent and see what i've accomplished in florida i've accomplished yeah. more in florida than trump has accomplished as, as president uh and that was test run from late February to mid-April with his book tour. And his numbers dropped and Trump's went up over that time. And the excuse was, well, Trump got indicted. And so that, that's not a fair example. Like, that's the point. Yes. The point is that there is enough appetite to defend Trump against indictments because they feel like this is some sort of existential battle between Trump and the deep state Yep, that your policy record in Florida is irrelevant to what is on the mind of the median Republican voter. And so you have to either change what the median Republican voter is focused on or 
not run. They throw as hard the two options if you want to sustain your stature in the Republican Party. And every DeSantis reboot that we've heard about is doing the same thing all over again, just with different issue sets and different um, media figures that you interview with. Uh, He has the his theory of the case is wrong and no staffer change is going to fix that. I, I it's hard to argue with it now. Uh, uh, and I have, I have been baffled with 2023 Ron DeSantis. Like <laughs> that, I, I, cause again, it's like even just the, the, for, for as distasteful as, as many people found the Martha, the Martha's Vineyard thing. If you want a thing that blows Donald Trump off the front page for a day, that's the thing that you do. That's the kind of stuff that you do. And, and the idea that he had this machine going when he wasn't in the race. And, and now it's, let me talk to Jake Tapper about uh, uh, how the army's too woke. I, I, I just, I, I cannot, well, I cannot fathom I, I where this is changed. coming from. I mean, he's doubling down on slavery wasn't so bad in in, in Florida textbooks right now. I mean, he's still doing. No, he ran away from that. He said he didn't. He said that he wasn't involved in it. So even let's say that that he owned it. Let's say he owned it, but he didn't. Well, I mean, I think he kind of half owned it. I mean, he was like, I didn't do it, but this isn't so bad. You know, he's still he's not he's not condemning it. Uh, No, but there's 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 affecting the race or there's not affecting the race. And right now he has been he has been a passive passenger in in this race since before when he was getting ripped apart by Donald Trump. And and then, you know, we you have the never back down people running these Kim Reynolds ads in Iowa about how, uh, uh, you know, uh, Donald Trump is mean to Republicans and he should stop it. And it's like, yeah, but that's the kind of, I mean, it's, it's all stunts and gimmickry. I mean, he's still trying to find those openings as he was. I mean, maybe it's not as splashy as kidnapping people in texas and shipping them to 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 martha's vineyard Um, yes but i think but i still think it's all in the same vein uh and where i think the problem for him is i mean people said when i wrote my april piece there were people that said well he's got to run he's otherwise he'll miss his moment this is his moment yes and i think in retrospect you can say no his moment was between election day 2022 and February 1, 2023. That was a moment when Trump's numbers started to dip because he was taking flack from a broader range of Republicans for how the midterms went because a number yep. of his handpicked candidates failed Sucked. And, and and made it impossible to, over, to take back the Senate. Uh, if DeSantis announced then, yes. if DeSantis announced December 1, 2022, and squarely attacked Trump for the failure of that midterm and built on that critique all the way through. Again, I'm not, I can't say I predict it would have worked, but I'm saying that was, that was a moment where Trump was wobbly, where a broader chunk of Republicans were questioning the value of, of Trump as the standard bearer of the party. And he could have tried to seize that opening at that moment, and maybe things would have been different. But he waited. I mean, and I, and I, I can't say I would have done something different if I was saying, but I, I can say that this is, this is an easier case to make in retrospect. I understand the logic at the time of DeSantis saying, well, maybe Trump's going to fade on his own. 
Maybe this yes. is going to keep going down and I can hang back and let that happen organically while I build up a record of accomplishment in the next five months in Florida and I'll have my moment there. I get the logic at the time, November and December going forth in that way. But when the indictments happened, uh, if I remember correctly, in, in March uh, and Trump's number shot back up, that blew apart that theory yeah, of the case. that was it. Yeah. And now we know that if you don't aggressively argue the weakness of Donald Trump, not, ju- not just one person, but a broader swath of people, it's never going to sink into the average Republican voter. Well, because also it, the, the, that, that wasn't these indictments. Yeah, because that wasn't uh, uh, by itself. Right. Trump recognized DeSantis as his biggest uh, uh, threat. And ripped him apart and then boxed him in by saying, oh, he's already running for president when DeSantis was decidedly less engaged than I'm sure in hindsight, maybe he he, he wanted to be in terms of uh, going after the theory of the case, as you put it, with Trump. He was just doing the regular book tour, you know, like, like that kind of stuff. But he boxed DeSantis in. DeSantis didn't effectively start his campaign until I think you can argue three to four months later than at least he should have been going back and forth with what was his main rival. And even in the leaked memo that came out, I guess it was last week where, you know, they were painting a rosy figure of like, Hey, people still haven't settled on their final decisions and blah, blah, blah. The, 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 the question of how do we deal with Trump was still, we're talking about Ron. We're not talking about Trump. And I agree with you. I, I agree with you 100 percent. It's Trump or nah. That's it. And you're making the case for nah. This is your update brought to you as always by Take Politics Seriously. Com. That's our Patreon. That's where you get bonus content. That's where for only three dollars a week. $1 less than the coffee I just bought before I recorded this. You get two bonus episodes of this podcast. One on Monday, one on Thursday. We are in big news season, even if this primary is not going as crackling as I had initially thought. We still do have a lot of news. What's going on? You're going to want it here on this show. Come on over. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. But first... Here's what else is going on. Ron DeSantis' presidential campaign is undergoing significant staff reductions, amounting to over a third of its payroll, or 38 positions, in an effort to reposition the Florida governor's primary bid. This comes after the campaign's financial disclosures showed considerable spending against its $20 million in fundraising for the second quarter. Many donors have already maxed out, which means I gotta make this green stretch a little further. The decision to reduce the team reflects concerns about the campaign's fiscal health and follows previous hints of overspending. To further address these concerns, Carl Suica has been appointed the chief financial officer, while other strategic staff changes have been made. Despite the restructuring, campaign manager Genera Peck remains optimistic about DeSantis' prospects, signaling a more streamlined and cost-effective approach moving forward. If Ron DeSantis does not get out of the teens in the next month. So let's include 
the debate. Then Peck is gone and we have real, real problems for the DeSantis campaign. Because regardless of how disappointing he is and this campaign is, talked a lot about that so far in this episode, he's still doing better than a lot of people. So, you'd rather be DeSantis than anybody who's not named Donald Trump. But we're running out of runway on that, and it's going to be Peck who is blamed before DeSantis. Freshman Representative Becca Balint has spearheaded a resolution to censure Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene due to her contentious remarks and actions in the House. The most recent episode involved MGT showcasing explicit images of the president's son, Hunter Biden, during a hearing. We covered that on Friday's episode. The resolution details 40 grievances, including Green's visit to the January 6th detainees in Washington, labeling them the Patriot Wing, her derogatory comments about Muslim Congress members, attendance at a white nationalist event, which she later disavowed, and her comparison of COVID-19 vaccinations to Holocaust-era atrocities. Blint emphasized the importance of censuring Green for the preservation of democracy and trust in government, condemning Green's divisive rhetoric and conspiracy theories. The resolution is introduced as privilege, providing Blint the opportunity for floor action in the future, although no immediate plans have been made to push for a vote. It is noteworthy to say that Kevin McCarthy has floated impeachment for Joe Biden over the last 24 hours. So, you know, now that uh, the House has achieved so much, they're just going to get into censuring each other and impeaching the president. Yippee. And now let's go ahead and take a look at who, as of this recording, has qualified for the debate stage at the end of August. We are now in the runway period for that. So in case you have not heard, the way that you are going to make the stage is by either polling or by both polling and money. We're going to talk about this uh, a, a little bit in the second half of our conversation with Bill Share. But you have to uh, uh, appear above a polling threshold in either state polls or national polls, and then you have to have 40,000 individual donors. So here are the people that have qualified. Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, Vivek, Vivek Ramaswamy, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, Chris Christie, and Doug Burgum. All right, that's seven people on stage. Now, here are the people that have not qualified. The big name on this list, Mike Pence. Now, that's a surprise, right? And, and it's not that he has not crossed the polling threshold. He has. He hasn't been able to register 40,000 individual donors, which is a bad sign for a former vice president with the kind of name recognition that he has. As a Hutchinson has not qualified. Miami Mayor Francis Suarez has not. Will Hurd has not. Ryan Blinky has not. Larry Elder has not. And Perry Johnson has not. 
We will see how many of those guys will be able to get on the stage. You would assume that people with the kind of name recognition like Pence and Hutchinson will definitely do it. But how many of the rest? Well, we will wait and see and continue to update you. And those updates may very well come on one of our bonus episodes because we got to get this news out. As fast as it can. News in this business, my friends, are like McDonald's French fries. You gotta get them out as fast as you can. And that's why you need to be a part of our Patreon. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 a week, two bonus episodes. Get it! And now, back to Bill Share. It's a very hard puzzle to solve. I don't want to argue that there's some sort of easy way to beat him. Look, he was a difficult cat in 2015 when he staying in the party was weaker than it is today. Yeah. Because he is just very good at making himself the issue. He's very good at being on the attack and very good at knocking you off of your game. So you can't stay on the game plan that you had intended to stay on. I mean, Jeb Bush, Mark Rubio, these people got tied up in knots because they just didn't know how to deal with his bullying behavior. And this is when Trump was more like in the 30s, not in the 50s. Yeah. Um, so to, to find a way to make the not-Trump argument when you have a limited pool of Republican voters open to that argument, that's not simple. And, and if you think it's going to be too hard to do, then probably the choice would have been to not run at all and wait till Trump is off the stage. But if you're going to run, if you're going to try, you got to find a way to go at him. I, I keep going back to an interview I did months and months ago when DeSantis was getting just destroyed by Trump and not doing anything. And I was talking to uh, Kimberly Leonard now with Politico, but she was then with Insider covering Ron DeSantis in Florida she was like, yeah, the DeSantis campaign really loves their kind of sneak disses that they'll, they'll, they'll hold events in towns that are, that have names that, that would play on a theme and they'll, they'll make these, the, the, their signs will have little messages to them. And I'm like, you know, I can, I can understand you know, look, we're, we're a couple of writers here. We can understand clever uh, uh, wordplay and hidden messaging. But you're talking about going to war with a scalpel when your opponent has a nuclear warhead. Like like Donald Trump is a blunt instrument. That is a, a uh, 100% coverage area blowout. And you are trying to hope that the clever folks who are paying really close attention are uh, titillated by your messaging. And and I, I feel like that, that has been the small example that to me has defined this campaign. It, it is, it is scared. It is, uh, uh, does not want to engage and does not seem to believe in itself that it could beat Donald Trump. I mean, DeSantis is, what DeSantis did to get this far in his political life was to be extremely online. He is very much driven by what is percolating in right-wing uh, online circles. Yes. All the kind of, I mean, he, he was not an anti-trans warrior before he was governor. 
Sure. But he, I mean, in the New York Times profile, this, you know, I, I believe it was last year that, you know, the, his staff, you know, tracks libs of TikTok and sees what's popping there. And that definitely informs, you know, they, they, they run to that shiny object all the time. Uh, and so I think getting down in that, in those weeds, what, what's, what's a good troll? What might yeah. light up Twitter by doing a, a, an event at this, this town with this name, uh, that kind of thinking got them very far, farther than I would have thought at the time. I, I always thought the Sanders decisions were kind of weird for a swing state governor, but, yeah. but they were good enough to win a re-election go, going away. But uh, they, you know, like many victors do, you know, uh, overanalyze their mandate. I mean, most governors win re-elections going away. Yes. Very rare for a governor to lose re-election, and and they're often and they're often not close. And tied into the fact that I think Florida is just inherently weird and has been going in a more conservative direction at a time when most of the rest of the country hasn't. You know, he'll say, Well, I won in 2022 when Republicans lost in all these places. Yeah, because Florida's weird. Like Florida is not. <laughs> The yes, state but but even even for even for weird Florida, nineteen points is massive. Winning Miami Dade is massive. Winning Palm Beach County is massive. Like like there there were there were elements to that victory that I will defend even now are beyond the pale for for an expectation of of a governor. But I think to to the point of timing, a lot of that was because people in Florida felt very good feelings about him because of COVID. And we are only every single second of our lives moving further away from the lockdowns, making anything that happened two years ago seem less and less and less impressive. And unless you are finding ways in which you are carrying forward the idea of, I made a decision when nobody else would make a decision by, in my opinion, making other decisions for which remind people that you are ahead of the game and Donald Trump is behind it, then you're not showing anything special. You are not continuing to alight the idea that you are separate from anybody else here. You're just another dude who wants to be Donald Trump. And I think his poll numbers are regressing to the pack of all the other people who are, you know, different you know, they're like like uh, like 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 the Barbie movie. They all kind of look uh, different and one's more popular than the others, but they're all kind of acting the same. Yeah. So, you know, I, I hate to you know be a buzzkill, but I, I think it's very possible that we're going to have a pretty boring primary. I mean, maybe ah! Tim Scott gets maybe Tim Scott gets a bit of a moment. Maybe Vivek gets a bit of a moment. I mean, we have, you know, you know, Cully Fiorina had a moment in 2016. It didn't last very long. You know, Trump was. No, still, you know, I, I think we might have. You know, our content farms might have to write those stories, uh, but it's just very hard to see what what it would take. Now, one other example that I only I mentioned here um, is when a candidate does focus on a single state, has an Iowa strategy or a New Hampshire strategy. Yeah. I mean, you know, McCain is the classic example. But McCain actually recovered by laser focusing on New Hampshire. Now, other things had to happen. Julie, I had to fall apart. Uh, Huckabee. Yeah. Huckabee had to have a base of support that was too narrow to extend beyond Iowa and not be seen as ready for prime time uh, on a host of foreign policy issues. You know, so uh, McCain had a certain amount of luck. Uh, he wasn't fully in control of his destiny, but he had a state in New Hampshire that was very well suited 
to his you know maverick rap because independents can 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 vote there um and he was able to you know write the ship uh uh obama was able to make a stand in Iowa. He wasn't a single state candidate, but even when he was behind Hillary by 20 plus points, he was running closer in Iowa almost the whole time in 2007. Yeah. Uh, and when he broke through, there was this latent African-American support that was parking itself with Hillary because there was residual Clinton love and we didn't quite believe Obama was the real deal. Once he breaks through, that that constituency swings his favor in, in a big way. Uh, so... You're you're seeing right now. I mean, I mean, Iowa is the only hope for anyone who's not Trump. You know, Trump's a little soft there in some polls. He didn't win Iowa last time. Yeah, um, there's the the, the you know, Kim Reynolds is not on the Trump train. Uh, there's you need Christian... you you need two because especially in the Republican primary. Oh yeah, I'm weird, not saying weird, Iowa's yeah, enough. Yeah, weird 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 thing happens. Weird stuff happens in Iowa and you're right. Uh, uh you know, I was making this case but I put I put the Pence campaign on death watch uh after the after the fundraising numbers. After when 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 Mike Pence can't outraise Vivek Ramaswamy, uh uh you have massive problems and you are polling in single digits in Iowa and you are the made in a lab evangelical candidate for just, Iowa. He's, he's, and he's very underwater, you know, fave, unfave, you know, it's second yeah. verse to, to Christie. And I think, I think I said on the show that I was more positive on Pence than most other people. Um, Cause I, you know, I've, I've always argued VPs are strong in primaries. Well, obviously mm-hmm. this is different because the president's in the race, um, but you are, you, you, you have a high name ID, you've traveled the country. You usually have a good donor network Yep, as a VP. Uh, but I always thought the, the, the Pence path was, a Trump DeSantis murder suicide. Yeah. They both get dragged down and Pence comes in as the tonic. Trump is bootstopping DeSantis. So it yes. doesn't give Trump it doesn't give Pence an opening. And the reason why Trump is doing so well is that they buy his story by January 6th, where Pence is the enemy in that story. Uh but I'm still surprised he can't. I mean, maybe he does get there eventually, but I'm surprised it is this hard for Pence to find 40,000 donors. You, you, your donor network should be much stronger than that's, that. You've been for eight years. I mean, his poll numbers are good enough to get them to the debates, which means that's not that's yeah. the highest standard. It's the donor, it's the the number of donors that's holding him back. And I, I'm surprised he's he's dragging in that front. I I think we have a, pre, a pre-Iowa dropout potential for oh, Pence. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, if he doesn't make the debate, hundred percent we're done it's over turn out the lights yeah Yeah. um and i'm i'm sure several other third tier candidates will run out of money i mean you you quit when you run out of money and you can't pay your staff and you can't pay the bus to go from place to place yeah um i mean christy in theory can hang out longer because he has to travel from you know new york's cnn studio to washington dc's msnbc studio like that's exactly and do some town halls in new hampshire um but I think a lot of third tier candidates will drop out before Iowa uh, because they just don't have the money to to stick around. Vivek can self fund. Um, Tim Scott had a good amount of money in the bank. Uh, beyond that, and you and DeSantis has is, is flush as well, so he doesn't have to drop out. Beyond that, I think a lot of them are going to run on fumes very quickly unless they have a, a breakout debate performance in the coming months. And I guess that would be the other the other thing, the other event decision that has yet to happen, aside from the debates, 
which make their own narratives of who did good, who did bad. And I do think that if Trump does not show up, the argument for Trump to show up is that the only way anybody else gets any kind of momentum is blank had the best debate at a thing and and Trump is live tweeting it or live truthing it uh, or live Xing it. Who knows if he's going to come come <laughs> back now that now that is a different name uh, where the only other decision gate is when people start dropping out. I mean, and granted, you don't have a lot of percentages to tack on, right? It's not like somebody with 8% is going to drop out in Iowa. Like it's going to be somebody with 3% that's going to drop out in Iowa. But if you have a bunch of them, do you see a consolidation around somebody else? And does that give any kind of momentum to another candidate? But boy, does it seem bleak right now? I don't think you get to a binary choice. Number one, uh, by Iowa, New Hampshire. Uh, and, Number two, it's not a given that you know, everyone who's not with Trump now will remain not with Trump. We, we, uh, I mean, you, you can argue that you know Trump's the known commodity, so whatever ceiling he has is the ceiling. But I, I believe his his fave unfave is still higher than his level of support. Uh, so I don't assume that if he's at fifty one in national polling that he can't get to fifty five or sixty when yeah. the field narrows. Um, uh, so I, it's it, it's it's just a, a hard uphill climb uh, for anybody, uh, and no one seems to have a strategy in place that is sufficient to the task. Which, as we outlined, you know, I'm sure that they're they're they're, they're taking ideas. <laughs> you know, if anyone's got if anyone's got the brilliant foolproof plan, aside from I mean, because 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 yours is everybody go attack the most popular man in the party. Everybody at the same time attack the yes. most popular person, yes. which in politics, which, you know, is a very copycat business is anathema to any strategy that's ever well, happened. Well, that actually usually does happen. Usually everyone seizes the front runner. I mean, everyone understands that that person's the obstacle. But in this case, they're scared to do it because they're afraid that if you do it, you burn yourself with a majority of the base, which may not be wrong. Yes. Uh, but it, I don't see how else you beat the front runner. I mean, the, the, uh, the, the, the Trump fatigue argument does not have obvious legs. You know, Ross Duke has no. just trying to make the case. Well, maybe, maybe Trump defeat fatigue hasn't happened yet. It doesn't mean that it can't in the future. I mean, I guess you know, there's always, always an anything is possible argument, but we've had four months of this with indictments, and that has not, yeah, yeah, not 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 when we've seen the indictments because I I from from what I have seen, we'll we'll see what happens with the Georgia stuff, but the January sixth indictment, if it is what we have you know uh, heard heard whispers of, and there's apparently new information based on new uh, uh, interviews, but a lot of it is focused on the events leading up to January 6th and not necessarily what the January 6th commission focused a lot on, which was the events of the day, January 6th. But at that point, you know, I don't know. I almost started talking about this, but I don't, I mean, we're going to have plenty of time and I'm going to need something to talk about because we're obviously not going to be able to talk about an actual competitive campaign. I mean, everything involving Trump losing involves wishful thinking. It was Trump, Trump, uh, can't help himself but to debate and subject himself to to that criticism. Uh, Trump fatigue will eventually happen because there'll be one indictment too many. 
you know, none of it is based on any kind of hard data, uh, any kind of evidence that someone has struck a nerve anywhere of any sort. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's based on a certain psychoanalysis of Trump. I mean, people try to psychoanalyze Trump all this time. Well, he doesn't really want this. He's too lazy. Yep. Uh, he'll be bored. He wouldn't want the, he doesn't want the humiliation. You know, all these things prove not to be true. Um, so I'm not saying I am the Trump whisperer and I can get into his head. All I can say is he has no political incentive to debate. And without a big debate moment, we're running out of things that can happen to change the dynamic of, the, of this project. I, I would I, I would I would make the argument that the reason why the political reason that he would debate is to deny oxygen to anybody else. And that is that that debating the risk of him being knocked out at a debate is so vanishingly small in his mind that the only risk would be that, you know, Ron DeSantis or Tim Scott has a 10 out of 10 star moment where they absolutely capture uh, uh, you know, the, the nation's attention or Republicans attention. And he's not there to make a fart noise right afterward. I think the opposite is the case. The only thing that changes the dynamic of the race, that's re- the only thing that's remaining is a crystallizing debate moment. And if he's not there, he's not part of that moment. And whatever moment does occur is on a diminished stage that can't have the same kind of traction. I think we might we might disagree there. All right, one last question, then I'll get you out of here. Is Donald Trump running a good campaign in the year of our Lord 2023 for the 2024 presidential race? Yes or no? Primary or general? Primary. Yes. Okay. But general, I assume you're saying no. No. Uh, yes, I mean no. Uh, <laughs> the, the smart thing that Trump did and there's plenty of things I would say that I think have not been smart for, you know, I, I think he's, he picked more fights than he had to. He could have been a more unifying figure in the party a lot earlier. Um, yeah. But that's not the way he does business. Smartest thing that he did was to announce the indictments before the prosecutors announced the indictments. Yeah. When he announces the indictments, the announcement is intermingled with his narrative about the indictments. Yes. He puts it into the Republican electorate that this is part of the deep state, the hoax, the witch hunt. And so immediately you you both energize your diehards to shake their fist uh, publicly at, at the indictments and you scare other Republicans into second guessing, should I say something negative about Trump in these indictments? He's, Trump's already out there whipping up the base. Maybe I shouldn't get in the middle of that uh, of that crossfire. Um, so there never was a, a, an opportunity for the, the counter argument that it, you you don't want an indicted nominee, let alone a yeah. guilty nominee. Like that never really got the, the oxygen within the Republican echo chamber because Trump squelched it literally the second the indi- indictments announced. He is running pretty close with Biden national polling wise. It's been it's been pretty. Yeah. Point five point five of a point in the real clear politics average. Yes. Although they you know, they don't real clear doesn't. uh, And I I contribute to real clear. I don't mean to be mean to them, but they don't include every single poll. Um, If you want every single poll, you got to look at the 538 list. Uh, And. I just did my own little calculation. Where yep. I looked at every poll that was taken in both June and July. So I'm not okay. so I'm comparing 
the same data sets, the same methodologies, uh, and seeing where is, the, is their movement here. And there has been a two-point move in the margin towards Biden okay. from June to July. Now, that could be noise. Yeah. But this is using like six or seven different polls. Um, so I'm not saying this means like it's a glide path for Biden and there's no no stopping him. But I think there is an argument that the mix of continued legal troubles for Donald Trump and improved economic news that Biden is is leaning into. Bidenomics. Bidenomics. I mean, look, it's not just Biden making a speech. I mean, there are genuinely good numbers that media outlets are reporting. Yes. And Biden is smartly leaning into it. So that becomes part of the media narrative. You know, is Biden always really working? Well, here are the inflation numbers and here's the unemployment number and here's the GDP number and here's the real household income number. Like there's some genuinely good things to point to here. Um, it is very, very unusual, arguably unprecedented for a pre- an incumbent president with a halfway decent economy to lose. Usually economy is going to be it's pretty true. bad. It's true. The, the weakest part of the economy is inflation. And arguably, some people say, well, why is he getting credit for it? Well, it's still a little elevated. It's going in the right direction. You know, it's, yes, it's it is. It is now it is now decelerating. Uh, uh, it is not accelerating as fast as it was. <laughs> that right. is, that is, that is, that is the, the, the story with, with inflation right now. It is still growing. It is not growing as uh, the explosive rate that it was last year. And, the, and one of the tricky things is that inflation almost always goes, you don't, you don't want of course. inflation. No, 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 uh, no, no. There's a natural rate of inflation that sort of keeps the economy humming because you're compelled to spend and not sit on your money. Uh, you just don't want to get, you know, out of the stratosphere. Uh, so they've got it down from like, you know, 9% year to year a year ago in June down to 3%, which is pretty close to the 2% that the Fed wants to see. That they want, yeah. Uh, so if we keep going in that direction and we get the soft landing, you know, the the only wild card for Biden is his age. There's really almost age and to some extent inflation as it stands right now. So if the inflation is fully solved, you're left with just age. That's the only thing weak spot here for Biden. So you're not uh, you're and, not you're not worried about the IRS whistleblowers. No, um, uh, it is one. I don't believe that there's a real scandal here, uh, but it's also very rare for a scandal to actually take down a president. Most people care much more about the economy than about scandals. Um, yes. So that's true. Uh, uh, so I, I don't think these are really all that serious a political threat. These are all really in the ticky tack uh, category of scandal. Um, but obviously, he would. I mean, we did see a president get impeached for a phone call to Ukraine, like, like that. That is, but not, but not actually impeached, not actually convicted. And he was impeached, not not convicted. I mean, he. I mean, Trump was unpopular for the entirety of his entire presidency. Yes, and he was running during the middle of a colossal pandemic, which he made worse, (laughs) which created the economy. I mean, that's that's that that was much more of the issue than the phone call to Ukraine. Yes. Uh, most people don't. Most people assume that all politicians are corrupt and they care about their pocketbook. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. All right. Well, the one, the only, the great Bill Share. <laughs> Thank you so much for spending so much time with us on the show. Washington Monthly is where you are. Uh, well, what do you got? What do you got cooking? Uh, well, in addition to my fine work at the Washington Monthly, which you should read uh, all the time. Uh, 
I have a side gig as the vice president of the Calvin Coolidge Presidential Library and Museum here in Northampton, Massachusetts. Damn. It is, we're nearing on the 100th anniversary of the Calvin Coolidge swearing in. Okay. August well, August 3rd, and we will be having some uh, a commemoration event at the library grounds uh, this Saturday, July 29th at 2 p.m. Uh, with 20s music, uh, with um, a new biographical film that we're debuting, uh, speakeasy mocktails, and some uh, hand pies of Coolidge's favorite pie. Guess his favorite pie. <laughs> uh Calvin Coolidge's favorite pie. I'm going to go guess. I'm going to go uh rhubarb. Pork apple. <laughs> uh friends, uh fellow Americans, please. Uh, uh 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 I need you if you are in the area to head to the 100th anniversary of Calvin Coolidge's swearing in at his library. Where again is it? So in downtown Northampton, the the Calvin Coolidge Library is within the Forbes Library, but it's near. Mm-hmm. I, I, the, it, you can find it on Google Maps. You don't even need to give the exact address. It's yeah. not, not, a, not, a, not too big a city. Uh, I will. I'll, I'll do a side plug because there's a separate Coolidge Memorial Foundation based in Vermont where Coolidge was born in Plymouth, yep. Notch, Vermont. They have their own like. They have they have more conservative money fueling that operation. Like you can literally speak to a Calvin Coolidge hologram up there. You can literally Jeez. ask the hologram questions. The Coolidge hologram speaks back to you. Wow. Um, so they're doing an event on the actual day, August third, where the night before, there is a public reading of Coolidge's autobiography, and you can sign up to read a passage of the autobiography. So they're all going to read the, the entire thing, start to finish, into the night, to till they get to two forty seven a.m. when the actual swearing in occurred at that site. Wow! In, in, in nineteen twenty three. Um, so they're a bit more hardcore than we are in Northampton. Hell but yeah! We have pork apple pie. So and you, you, I, absolutely you do. Absolutely you do. Coolidge heads, you are living, living over the next few weeks here for the big uh, 100 anniversary. Uh, 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 Bill, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Take care. And that is it for us today. Politics, 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 written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. If you would like to thank our boy, Bill Share, you can do so at letter P, letter X, number three, guest.com. You can email this program with any kind of thoughts, concerns, or complaints at theyoungamerican at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter, px3tweets. Uh, that's the show. You can find me on Twitter or X. It's going to give it to you. Twitter no longer lives. X now stands. I don't know. It's going to take a while. I'm going to call it Twitter for a long time. Justin R. Young is my ex. Because all my exes do live in Texas. That's where I am. All my ex accounts. I mean, they're not X accounts, they're current accounts. Anyway, you can find me on Twitch, px3live.com. You can find this podcast at px3podcast.com if you want to share it with your friends, family, and clergy. If you would like to support this show with a one-time donation, you just want to give me a little tip. Just say, hey, here's a dollar. 
you can do so on PayPal, paypal.me slash payjury, P-A-Y-J-U-R-Y. Venmo is justin-young-20. Cash app is px3cash, and you can send me anything you'd like in the mail. P.O. Box, 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Again, Post Office Box, 153184, Austin, Texas, 78715. Of course, you can always get our bonus content at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcasting schedule. And our $10 tier gets your name right at the end of the show like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. Jason, Andres, Matt, John Gross, C. Garcia, Matthew T. L. Basso, John, Craig Potts, MC Radio, Bugs Life, Neemeister, Unsafe DB Levels, Amanda Yield, Pinball Shop. DP4 Bongo, Catherine, Todd, and Vote Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Edison, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, select, start, Dr. G, Neil, Charles, Darren, 100 Mile Runner, Idris, Arslanian, Blue Friend, and the Lenina, DL, Steven, Chad, Nomadic, Terran, Molly's Dashing Debut, Adam, Chief Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul is awesome. Brad Richard, just another pilot, middle-aged Mike who loves Frank, got abducted, Utah, Jimmy Montana, the Gen, A, L, D, L, D, L, D, really? Chopper, Andrew, and Joshua. If you would like to have your name read at the end of each and every show, well, one more place to do it. TakePoliticsSeriously.com On the Friday edition of this program, we are going to hear from a man who covers the Senate for a living. We're going to talk a little bit about the gulf between the very staid establishment Republican Senate and the very raucous House Republicans. So that and much more. Some some discussion on uh, the Tommy Tuberville stuff and uh, a little bit of a peek forward into 2024. That's all available for you on Friday. I'll see you then. Until then, my name is Justin Robert Young, and I would like to remind you that some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss all three. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs) Dog and Pony Show Audio.